Feels like God has been speaking um, very clearly already this morning through the worship guys and the worship team. Thank you for just being sensitive to what the Spirit of God's doing in the room. It was so, so clear, again, through the word. Uh, Nigel, thank you for bringing that, that whole sense of, in my heart, it was just, God is just underlining his, his name, his, his character. I, I don't know if, you know, when you get a, when you get a document, you get a, a, maybe a memo at work or whatever it is, if you're anything like me, you look for those key parts of the document, the, uh, you, you might turn straight to the conclusions, or you look for the bits that are underlined, the headings and the kind of key sections of, of what is being communicated. And I just felt like God was doing that this morning. He was putting in bold print and underlining and saying, I am on my throne. I am God. I am good. I am with you. I am here. Some of those really simple and yet massively profound things that we so need to hear. We so need to hear those things. We're, we're, and again, it's just so in line with, with what God is, has directed us to speak into in these, in these weeks. We're going through a series uh, of the I am statements of, of Jesus in John's gospel. David, you can pop up the first one uh, for me there. That would be great. First slide, that is. Um, when, when we write documents, we use bold and we use underlining to draw people's attention to what we really want to communicate. In the first century, they didn't have that. They, they only had uh, linguistic modes, devices, good word, thank you. They had linguistic devices. And the first century audience would have been really attuned to what those devices are. And, and one of those devices was repetition. And certain numbers, like groups of three, groups of seven, groups of 12, those were significant numbers to first century Ju Judaism, Ju Judaism. Jews, that's the word. I'm doing really well. Do you want to help me? Just keep helping me, Nath. That would be great. Um, but when it came to John's gospel, the writer, um, the, the apostle John, he was using these devices. And he was, he was drawing to the attention of all who would receive his gospel, all about the person of Jesus. Who is he? Who does he claim to be? What do his miraculous works underline as being true about him? And so if you analyze the Gospel of John, there are actually seven discourses. There are seven sections of text. And a first century Jew would have picked up on that and go, oh, there's, there's seven. All right, he's, he's drawing my attention to something specific. And within those uh, again, within the chapters, there were seven specific signs or wonders or miracles that Jesus performed. Again, all directing our attention to who he claimed to be. And within those discourses, there are seven I am statements. And God is, is using this letter, this first century letter to the churches and, and to us and saying, I am. Pay attention. Pay attention to who I say I am. Let these truths get under your skin and into your heart and into your mind. I want you to pay attention because when you lay hold of this truth, this will set you free. This is what will provide the foundation, the launch pad for your life. I've come to give you life and to give it in abundance. John chapter 10 verse 10. And that abundance flows from a foundation that is absolutely established on knowing who Jesus is, who he claims to be, how that impacts our lives. And so we come to this little passage here in John chapter 8, verse 12. 
uh, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. I'm so pleased, actually, in this season and in the coming season that we're focusing in on something really simple, the person of Jesus. Profoundly simple, but simple. Because it would be so easy in the midst of all of the kind of chaos of of the world at the moment, in the midst of all of the prophetic swirl and the, the, the sensitivities of all oh, what God might be calling us to and what should we do, how do we respond, how do we live next in this next season, the primary question is, are you centered on the person of Jesus? Do you absolutely know who he claims to be for you and in you and through you? And so it's incredibly healthy for us to be working our way through I am statements in John's gospel. And a little sneak preview from September, we're going to be going through another series called Jesus Is. We're not getting too complicated. We're going from I am to Jesus is. This is a book that we're using as a kind of backdrop to the preaching series in September and October, Jesus Is by Judah Smith. And again, we're going to get back to some of these core things because it is from the person of Jesus that life flows. If we start somewhere else, it will not be life. We start in the person of Jesus. We are guaranteed to drink from a pure stream that will bring life to our souls, life to our bodies, and life into our communities. So it's this kind of perfect reset to the one person refining refining our focus sharper and sharper and sharper Jesus it's about Jesus we exist because of Jesus we do not exist because of social action social action is good we do not exist because of community compassion although that is good we primarily exist in him and for him, as the apostle writes in Acts, I think it's Acts 17, in him we live and we move and we have our being. If we get outside of him, we're going we're gonna to end up going off in some wonky directions. We, we are being called in this season as we prepare for the freedom that God is giving back to us to center ourselves, to refine our focus, and to be altogether taken up again with the person of Jesus. I just love the fact that in worship this morning, it's like we couldn't get away from simply adoring him. May we never get away from that. May we never, ever get away from that. He's calling us to come back to him in this moment. And just something in my own heart this week, I feel like God is calling me, perhaps he's calling you, just again and again, whatever your life circumstance may be, to say, I trust you Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. Don't know about you, but I, I'm, I'm drawn and pulled to put my trust in other things. They're not bad things. The other support structures of this world, you know, friendships and finances and the promise of a nice holiday and, you know, the, the comfort of 21st century Western world. Put your trust in these things. No, don't put your trust in these things. Come back to the person of Jesus whatever you're facing, it's sometimes good even just to declare it out loud. Say it with me. I trust you, Jesus. Again, I trust you, Jesus. I just encourage you, if you find your heart stirred and torn and pulled in these coming days and that you feel the anxiety beginning to build inside your stomach, if you're anything anatomically like me, um, take a moment and just go, hang on. I trust you, Jesus. 
I trust you, Jesus. You are with me. You are for me. You are good. You are my Savior. You are my Lord. You are faithful. And just come back to that place. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. So John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. It's an exclusive statement. Jesus is the light. Not a light amongst many. He is the light of the world. And I just want us to to look at some of the context uh, around that statement. As I mentioned, there are seven discourses in John's gospel. And this particular discourse stretches from kind of chapter 7-ish through to chapter 9. And as we look at the context, we get a little bit of the ins- an insight into what it is Jesus wanted to communicate to us when he says, I am the light of the world. John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, we have this funny story of the woman who is caught in adultery. As far as I'm concerned, it takes two people to be caught in adultery, but they drag one woman before the people and they call on Jesus to condemn her. Then we have, shortly after the statement about Jesus says, I am the light of the world, towards the end of chapter 8, we have this whole discourse about, is Jesus claiming to be greater than Abraham? Surely Abraham, our father, is greater than Jesus. And then, in chapter 9, Jesus goes on to heal a man who is born blind. He goes from complete blackness to complete perfect sight and brilliance. And in the middle of all of that happening, Jesus says, I am the light. I am the light. What are some of the things that we can see through these surrounding stories? First of all, if you do not have the light, the light that comes from Jesus, your spiritual blindness will result in harsh judgmentalism. These Pharisees, these religious people, they thought they had light. They thought they had it sorted. They thought they knew what is good from what is bad. And they pull out this woman and they say, she should be condemned. And Jesus says, no, you're blind. You're you're twisted because you're not seeing according to my light. I do not come to condemn. Second simple story here. Is Jesus greater than Abraham? Is Abraham greater than Jesus? No, you're not seeing straight. You're not seeing by my light. Because institutionalized, organized religion is not the light of the kingdom of God. There is a purer, higher, more perfect way that is revealed in the person of Jesus. And if we, again, if we deviate from the person of Jesus into well-intentioned organizational structure, we end up with something less, something dry, something lifeless. Please, God, may we not end up in that place. It's so easy. It's so easy to fall into that trap. But Jesus is saying, no, me, me, I am the light. Don't settle for a second-hand, second-best institutionalized religion. That is not why I came to the earth. And thirdly there, Jesus makes this declaration of his power and authority. He says, I am the one, not, and I will demonstrate to you that I am the one who can define what light is by taking someone who is born in darkness and transforming them miraculously. Jesus' miracles are declarations of his authority. So if you, if you wonder, can, can, he really, can he really tell me what's right and what's wrong? Yes, His miracles are testimony to his power and to his authority to say, I am light 
I have the truth. My truth, my light will bring life to your body. And he's still doing it today. Very, very quick testimony because time is charging. Why does it go faster when I open my mouth? Um, I got a, got a t- you're all thinking, I wish it did go faster when he opened his mouth. But I got, a, I got a WhatsApp message from a friend this week. This friend had gone for a consultation with uh, a doctor. This doctor had previously diagnosed a cancerous lump. And this friend of mine had recorded the doctor's comments as the examination was being made. And the comments were something like, where is it? That's amazing. It's gone. Uh, that, I would say that's a miracle, except it's treatment. And you kind of heard, you heard this doctor going, that's, I, would, I would almost use the word miraculous, but of course it's treatment. You know, let, let me step back behind the safety of what I know to be true. Poor old doctor was not seeing by the light of Jesus because Jesus' light is so much greater so much greater than any light that we can see with in this world. Any light that we choose to see with in this world is darkness compared to the light of his kingdom. And it's, it's just so easy for us to, to settle, to drift from the, from the beauty of his light and to come back into this, this place of what we think is light, but actually it's not. The little lesson for us here is that without intentional focus, it's easy to drift away from truth or light as revealed in Jesus. It's so easy to find ourselves in that place. Perfect light in the center of the circle. Perfect white light. Now if I'm, I can do this, not very good. Out here somewhere, I might just be believing that I've still got some light. I might, if I compare myself to others, I might think, oh, I'm, I'm actually quite shiny in this spot. Out here, oh dear, I'm in darkness. Comparison to other people does not actually determine whether we are receiving the light of the Lord or not. His invitation is to come to him, to the white hot center of the circle, to come and to see ourselves and, and to measure our lives by his revealed perfection and not to see ourselves in comparison to other people around us. We need the revelation of his light every day. The sun itself testifies to us. We get a fresh sunrise every morning as a little wake-up call, say, hey, you need light today. You need light today. Don't try and live today on the basis of what you received yesterday. Jesus has fresh revelation light for you, for me, every single day that we are alive. And there's this parallel warning that comes through in, in, in Mark chapter 8, um, where Jesus is teaching his disciples, and he warns them, and he says, watch out, beware of the yeast. Now, we're switching the metaphor a little bit from light to yeast, but watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And there's actually a third type of yeast that is revealed in the New Testament there in Matthew 13, 33. Jesus speaks of the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast that is um, kneaded into a, a, a loaf of bread. So what's Jesus saying? Is that there are different types of source. There are different places there where you could go for life. Be careful you don't go to the wrong place. Come to me is his instruction. His instruction to the, to the disciples is don't go to Herod 
the leader of the political and the commercial systems of this world. Don't go to the Pharisees, the leaders of the religious systems of this world. Come to me. I am the king of this of the kingdom that is being established now amongst you. The political world, folks, we live amongst these with these three influences every day. The political commercial world says, I don't mind if you're a Christian, but just don't expect to bring that into my, my space, my environment. Don't bring that stuff in here. Keep that in your church meeting on a Sunday. Don't bring that into this workplace. And there is a strong voice that comes to us and says, live according to that system. The religious systems of the world say, yes, there is God. God is central, but God is impersonal and not, and, and not powerful. So we have religious structure, but without the life of the kingdom of God. God is reduced to con concept and moral code, but there is no power, there is no intimacy, there is no personal relationship. And of course, what Jesus is, in, is inviting us into is his kingdom, which is full of his presence, which is personal, which is powerful, which is fresh and life-giving to us every day, every day. Just doing a quick edit on the run for the sake of time. We'll run through this. Right, quick look at this because I reckon that we're not, because you're here this morning, you've already decided that you don't want to live your life according to the political systems of this world. But the fact that you are here tells me that you, you believe in God. You're at least interested in who he is. But we have this, we have this unintentional drift that can occur in our lives where we come and we say, Lord, yes, I want to learn about you. But without that intentionality of focus, it can drift and become just something that's a little bit religious and a little bit dry. So our identity, as, God, as Jesus calls us to inherit, is that you and I, if we believe in Jesus, we are royal heirs of his kingdom. We are sons and daughters of the king. But the drift occurs where yeah, I'm still a child of God, but I just don't expect for anything. I don't really believe that he's going to speak to me. I don't really feel the closeness of my father. And we can say the right, wor the right word, yeah, I'm a child of God. But actually, we've drifted from what he reveals to us that says, you are my son, you are my daughter, you are my heir in my kingdom. I have plans and purposes that are glorious for you. Can you spot that in your own life? You know, I put my own hands up to that. So often, there's that drift that occurs. When it comes to worship, is it a delight? Or is it just something we do? Is it just a chore? Is it just the first couple of songs to warm us up, to wake us up, to get us moving at the start of a day or a Sunday morning? Our prayer life, because of our intimacy with Jesus, because of his fresh promises to us, our prayer life... The invitation is that it springs out of divine promises for the extension of his kingdom, for the glory of his name. But has it diminished gradually to basically my list of, oh God, will you sort this out? And oh my, I need your help. Will you please fix? Will you please fix? Will you please fix? 
And when it comes to your mission, what you have been commissioned to do, do you recognize daily, moment by moment, as you walk into your workplaces in the coming weeks, that your call is to extend his kingdom, his dominion, his rule, his reign, his majesty, wherever he has planted you? Or have you got your kind of head in your hands and you're, you're, you're only really interested in defending the ground that you already have? It's so easy to slip and to slide and to find ourselves in this relative darkness. And so Jesus says, I am the way. No, he doesn't. He says, I am, he did say that, but he also says, I am the light of the world. And his very simple instruction to us is, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. If you follow me, and this is not a social media, Instagram type follow. That is a vague awareness at best. How many people do you follow on your social media account? If you ask my children, it would probably be several thousand. But in reality, if they're not in the selfie with the person, they ain't following them. To follow Jesus means that you can see him that he's moving and that you're moving in his direction. And his invitation to us today, right through the worship, right through the, the contributions that we have had this morning, Jesus is saying, I wanna remind you, I am on my throne. I am God. I am good. I am for you. I am faithful. I am the freedom bringer. And he says, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Get up close, get up close and personal. Don't stay off at a distance. Don't settle for an Instagram-like following where you go, click, I've done my bit today, right? Tick the box, that must mean I'm following Jesus. No, follow him so you can hear his voice, so you can feel the breath of his, of his mouth on, on the side of your face. He wants to walk closely. He wants to whisper the exact words that you need to hear into your ear. He wants to propel you into your workplaces and equip you for every encounter with the broken world, whether it's in your family circumstances, in your work circumstances, in your neighborhoods, wherever it may be. He says, follow me, follow me. Then you will walk with light. You won't have to fear any darkness and you will walk representing me, representing Jesus everywhere you go, everywhere you go. We're almost done in time. We are done on time. Take one moment. Close your eyes for me. I just want each one of us, folks at home, as, as you listen as well, just invite the Lord to be speaking to you right now. He has issued the invitation he has said, I am the light of the world. Follow me. He wants us to recenter. Holy Spirit, I invite you now to bring to our attention individually the things that you want to realign, to recenter, to refocus on in our lives. Speak your truth. And align us to your heart so that we will walk free, Jesus. 
I just have the sense this morning that the Lord is, is calling some of us who have wandered a bit like the prodigal son. And he is saying to us, you know who you are. You know where your heart is at. And the Lord is saying to you, I know, where, I know, I know that you've walked away, but I know that you want to come back. And there is no shame. He wants to restore your purpose, your purity, and your power, your authority. There's some, of, there's some folks perhaps in this room this morning who feel like they've, wa- they've wandered off and therefore they've stepped outside of his commission and his call. And I just feel like the Lord wants to say, no, my gifts and my call are irrevocable. And like the prodigal son, the father runs, throws his arms around him and welcomes him back, covers up his shame. There is no place for shame. The Lord wants us to walk free and to walk in light and to walk with hope and to walk with joy. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. Lord, again, we say, I trust you, Jesus. I trust you, Jesus. I come back to you again today. Amen. Amen. I'm just aware, even as I say that, there may be folks watching or who will watch this, and you've never made that statement of, I trust you, Jesus. And we want to we help you. If that's, if that's where you are this morning, then do get in touch with us. Use the email address, hello at thecommunitychurch.org.uk. And uh, one of us, I would love to be able to get in touch and just to help you understand what it means to put your trust in Jesus. It's uh, no better choice, no better decision that you'll ever make. Amen.